Bibles with me and open them to Ephesians. Uh, this is a continuation of last Sunday evening's message, and and the main the main context of our scripture came from Philippians chapter four last week. But tonight, I'd like to just look at Ephesians chapter two together, and um, we're going to read the first seven verses of Ephesians chapter two. So, if you'll uh, read silently as I read aloud, we'll we'll read these verses together. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or manner of life in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together in Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you tonight that we're able to be in this place. And uh, Father, we thank you for your word that we have the privilege tonight of of teaching and and preaching. And Holy Spirit, as we gather together around the word of God, we yield ourselves to to you and your teaching. Instruct us, help us to know and and discern truth, and bless us as you, you promised you would. Thank you for this time we have together, and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as I stated last week, the context of this, this, this message on our riches in Christ is not, the context is not material wealth. Uh, our riches as God's children uh, are not measured in the tangible possessions of this life. They are measured in the boundless riches that we have in the grace of God. Uh, Last Sunday evening, I mentioned, first of all, that we were rich in the grace and mercy of God. And we we talked about uh, these things, and I reminded you, again, it's nothing new, but just some things we need to be reminded of. I reminded you that grace is God giving us that which we do not deserve, heaven, eternal life, these things that God gives us. Uh, that, that we do not deserve. This is his grace. And mercy is God withholding those things that we do deserve. Judgment and punishment and, and all of these things. And we are very rich indeed in, in the grace and mercy of God. And, and, and a, 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 every Christian should, should delve into the word of God and seek to fully understand what is meant when we use that term, the grace of God. People talk about the grace of God as if it's just some little old thing. And the grace of God is, is beyond human comprehension. It's beyond our ability to fully comprehend. I mentioned last week, I did a study in our teen class years ago, spent 46 lessons on the grace of God, and really just began to scratch the surface. The grace of God is so deep and so rich. But also last week, I said that we are rich in the promises of God. And I reminded us that a promise is a commitment from one person to another with the intent of bringing to pass that which is committed. Uh, A broken promise, I reminded you, is a lie. And if God makes a promise to his children and does not keep it, then he is a liar. 
And we know that God cannot lie, and God does not lie. And by its nature, a promise is something that we all expect will be honored. Uh, With men, this is not the case. Men break their promises. However, God never breaks a promise. And we looked at that last week. So now tonight, I'd like to continue looking into the riches we have in Christ by looking at number three, the provision of God. We are rich in Christ tonight because we have the provision of God. Now, again, I, I don't want us to think about material here. I don't want us to think about possession. Men, men attribute riches to things that we have, possessions. But, but the scriptures do not attribute rich, being rich or, or, or richness to, to material things. So I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. It's just a short little trip through the scriptures to, to find the book of Philippians. And let's look together at uh, Philippians chapter 4. And we'll begin at verse number 10. Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things that were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I like what Paul said there. He said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound uh, in everything, he said, everywhere. Uh, and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. We should be content. We should be satisfied. We should be full with the graces of God. We should be full with the provisions of God. Yet we should be hungry at the same time. Not hungry for more possession, but hungry for more knowledge. Hungry for more opportunity to to glorify God in our lives. He said uh, in verse 19 that God supplies all of your needs according to his riches. Security. That's what this is all about. All of us desire security, right? Just to know that no matter what may happen, our family, our children, our our spouses are safe and taken care of and secure. We all desire security. Now, for us to be secure in something, though, we must have confidence in the same. Without confidence, we can never truly be secure. There will always be doubt. There'll always be anxiety. Now, this sense of security that we have in Christ Jesus, this sense of security is indeed of great value. 
Most, if not all of us here, would treasure such security as a, as a very valuable asset. So I guess the first important question tonight to be asked is in what or in whom have you placed your confidence tonight? Do you know what we have, by my observation, of 31 years of, of ministry? Do you know what I think we have in America tonight? How many of you like dandelions? Any of you like dandelions? Uh, you drive by and you see a, full, a field full of dandelions and beautiful little puffy things. And they're so cute, aren't they? And they're so much fun to run through and poo, kick them and poo. They're just so beautiful. Well, that's how Christians are today. We're like dandelions. Real nice to look at but not much substance. Uh, they're very pretty, but the least little wind will blow, and all of a sudden, poof, it all falls apart. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, Paul states that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive... But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from, the whole, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Paul is saying here, he doesn't, God doesn't desire that we be, we be like, like dandelions, that we be little children that are so easily shaken by the, by the doctrines of, that, that will blow through. These cannot withstand the winds that blow across the plains of Christendom. They are quickly dispersed, scattered to the four corners of the earth. But in Christ Jesus, we can have strong confidence today. Proverbs 14.26 states, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Confidence. Our security, our security in Christ comes from the fact that we can be confident in Jesus Christ tonight. There are certain things we can be very confident about. I'd like to share those first. Confidence that he will never forsake us. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Do you know God didn't promise all of the people of Israel that they would survive the conquering of Canaan? Do you know that? He didn't promise all of them that they were going to live through that. But he did promise every one of them his presence. That he will not forsake them. There's a lot of good Christian people that die. A lot of good Christian people that suffer. And, and, and sometimes I wish they didn't have to. I, I think of sometimes I think of some of our Christian brothers and sisters who have gone through cancer and, 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 and things like that. And, and, I, and I would think, oh, you know, it would be so nice if we didn't have to endure that. But, you know, God never promised that we wouldn't get sick. He didn't promise that we wouldn't die. He didn't promise that we wouldn't be hungry at times. He didn't promise that the economy would stay strong. He didn't promise that, that things would never go bad. But he did promise that he would never forsake us. That he would never leave us and he would always be with us. And I have the confidence tonight to know that no matter what I face, I face it with Jesus Christ my Lord. There's absolutely no possibility that God would ever forsake me. However, there is always the possibility that I will forsake him. And this 
because of my weak and sinful flesh. Therefore, let each one of us daily walk in remembrance of this great truth, that God is with us in the good times and in the bad times. When we're happy and when we're sad, the Lord will never leave me nor forsake me. But secondly tonight, I can have confidence that he will not forget me. We can have confidence tonight that he will never forget us. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 30 and 31, when thou art in tribulation and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God and shall be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God, he will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swear unto them. Now, I, I really like this. I just, I can't get over the fact that God will not forget us. Uh, and not because of us, but because of his own righteousness. Because of his own covenant, he will not forget us. Let me tell you, some of us are forgettable people. Okay? Let's just face the truth. I'm a forgettable person. I mean, honestly, you know, some people after they've met me said, boy, I wish I'd have never met you. Uh, there's a guy I wished I'd have never met, Brother Gilbert Blanchard. I told Brother Gilbert one day, I said, you know what, before I met you, Brother Gilbert, I knew what sleep was. I knew what it was to relax and not, not have trouble. Uh, there's some people I, I'd, I'd like to forget. And that's a, in a good way, by the way. Brother Gilbert was a great guy. But God never forgets us. Let's turn together to Hebrews chapter 6. I want to read some scriptures. Hebrews chapter 6. You'll forgive me if my mind wanders a little bit tonight. I, I uh, took a dose of medicine after morning service and took a nap. And I think I'm... I'm like I was when I was young. My dad used to say, boy, your mouth wakes up a half hour before your brain. And the two don't meet all day long. So forgive me if I space a little bit here and there. Hebrews chapter 6. Let's begin at verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Wow, we could stop right there. I, I bet you I'd give pastor that verse and bet he preached for six months. Just on that verse. Wow. Verse 14. Saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for uh, confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Uh, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, that's you and me, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth in, uh, entereth that within the veil, uh, whither the forerunner is not for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Wow, if that doesn't make your toes tangle, then you may not have any toes. Did you see what God said in there? He swore by himself because there's nothing greater he can swear by. He made a promise, a covenant unto Abraham, unto all his children, of whom you and I are. And I can stand here tonight with confidence and know that God will not forget me. He will not forget the covenant, the promise that he's made unto his children. 
God's provision for his children is not based upon their merit. It is based upon the promise of his own word. So we can have confidence tonight that God will not forsake us. We can have confidence in our daily life that God will not forget us. And thirdly, we can have confidence that he will be a father unto us. John chapter 1 Verses 10 through 12, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Second Corinthians chapter six, verses 17 and 18, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and will be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You know, when I was growing up, I always had confidence in my daddy. I always knew my daddy would come home from work. I always knew he would take care of us. When I was scared, I'd, I'd always run into daddy's room. I'd run to my daddy's side. And I, I always had confidence in my daddy. Even now today, I still do. When I have decisions to make sometimes, I I pick up the phone and I call my dad and I say, Dad, can I talk to you for a minute? And I'll ask his advice and I'll seek his counsel because I trust my father. I have confidence in him. I have confidence that he loves me. And I have confidence that he wants only the best for me. And you know tonight, you realize how rich you are because God is your father? You realize that? You are so rich. You are so wealthy tonight. God is your father, and he cares about you, and he's concerned about you. And if you go to him and seek his counsel, he will give you his counsel. He will give you all things in the earth that are good for you. He'll never give you what you don't need or what you shouldn't have, but he'll give you everything that you need. We have confidence tonight. We're rich. We're rich people. I'm one of the wealthiest men in the world. I said that last Sunday night. I am so rich. You are privileged to even look at me. I am so rich. I'm rich in the grace and mercy of God. I'm rich in the promises of God. I'm rich in the provision of God. And number four, I'm rich in the power of God. In the power of God. I'd like you to, uh, well, actually, I think I projected this verse. Second Timothy chapter 1, Dalton. Did I put that up there? Yes. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. And of love and of a strong, of a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Now, wherein lies this great power? Well, it is found in the person of the Holy Spirit, which dwells in and with us. Oh, what a true pearl of boundless wealth! we find in the in the person of the holy spirit to be empowered to be empowered by the spirit of the living god you know i i think over the years some of our baptist people have become so afraid of being labeled as a charismatic that they've begun to totally forget about the holy spirit and they've pushed him off to the side because they don't want anybody to think that they're they're fanatics but do you realize how big a part of our lives the holy spirit is My goodness, the Holy Spirit is the comforter. He's our teacher. He's our guide. He's our protector. 
The Holy Spirit is that part of God which he has given of himself to us that will dwell with us and be with us at all times. We shouldn't shouldn't live our lives as if he does not exist. I lost my place. There it is. I'm sorry. It was this power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that quickened our dead souls. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, For Christ also also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. It is this power of the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin. In Ezekiel chapter 36 we read, For I will take you from among the heathen, and gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them and ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and ye shall be my people and I will be your God did you see that now you tell me what could be more what could possibly be more of more value worth more than the living spirit of God within us God has empowered us tonight. He's empowered us to live holy and righteous lives, not by our own understanding, not by our own efforts, but by his power and his indwelling spirit. Jesus very directly and very clearly stated that he uh, is the source of all power. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And as such, he imparts power to we, his children, so that they can be and do all he has called them to be and do. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 7, we read, Whereof I am made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. And it is important tonight that each of us realize that we can do nothing, absolutely nothing but sin, Apart from God's power. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, Paul states, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. God's power enables me to do all that God has willed that I do. And this is what is meant in Philippians chapter 4 and verse uh, 13 when Paul states, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And what Paul is saying is I can do everything that God has called me to do. I can do everything that God has willed that I do through his power. I can live a holy life tonight. I can by the power of Christ. I can resist temptation tonight and I can overcome sin. I can. By the power of Christ. I can walk in the newness of life tonight. By the power of Christ. I can be an obedient child of God tonight. By the power of Christ. I can be a faithful servant to my church. By the power of Christ. I can do all the things that God has called me to do. By the power of 
Christ. But I can do nothing, nothing of any value to God apart from the power of Christ. Oh yes, I'm rich tonight. I'm rich in God's grace and mercy. I'm rich in the promises of God. I'm rich in the provision of God. I'm rich in the power of God. And number five tonight, in Christ we have a propensity for God. Now this is not a little thing. This is absolutely a pearl of great value. Let's turn together back to Ephesians. And let's go to chapter 5 this time. And we're going to read quite a bit of scripture here. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. Ephesians 5, verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. What things? Well, all the, all the works of the flesh, all the, all the uncleanness and unrighteousness in the world. Verse 7. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And, and we spoke about this. If you were here uh, Wednesday evening, I believe it was, I spoke about uh, walking in fellowship with darkness and, and how we're, we're called away from that. Uh, verse 12, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Now let me stop right there at verse 16 and say this. You trade every moment of your life. You exchange it for something. And when the Lord... When, when we stand at, at the judgment seat of Christ, he is going to examine what we did with each moment of time he gave us. What did you do with that time? What did you do with that moment? Did you, did you in that moment of time, did you glorify God? In that moment of time, was your spirit that of Christ? In that moment of time, what did you do? Because God has given you a finite amount of time in which to do that which he's called you to do. And we shouldn't be wasting it. We shouldn't be wasting it in riotous living. We shouldn't be wasting it in, in, in sinful lust. We shouldn't be wasting it in, in satisfying our own desires. We should be redeeming. We should be using all the time that we can. Now, I realize we have to work jobs and we have to, we have to do many things. But those time, that time that we can, we need to make sure we are expending that time wisely to God's glory and to his honor. Verse 17, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I read these scriptures because I want us to see the difference the difference between the life of a believer and the life of an unbeliever. 
Now, I can remember, unfortunately, I wish I couldn't, but I can remember living in darkness. And it is not something that I'm proud of. But I can remember those days. Then it it seemed a small thing for me to live in sin. It seemed perfectly normal to satisfy the lusts of my flesh. In fact, it literally seemed impossible to do anything but live in sin. But then I remember that day when God redeemed my worthless soul. I remember how everything seemed to be so different. Uh, I remember when I walked out of that little church on that Sunday morning, the grass seemed so green. And the birds sang so beautifully. And, and the flowers smelled so great. It was as if I was experiencing all of them for the very first time. You remember that? You remember how you felt, felt that day you were saved? You remember how hopeful and how, how beautiful and how fresh everything seemed? And I remembered how much I wanted to go to church. How much I wanted to read the Bible. How much I wanted to sing the hymns. How much I wanted to be a part of everything that pertained to God. It didn't matter what it was. I used to, I used to say, what are we do, what, what's going on this week? Well, we, we have to come over here and knock out this wall. Great, I'll be here. I wanted to be a part of everything. I wanted to be a part of fixing the buses when they broke down. I didn't know anything about fixing the bus, but I wanted to be a part of it. When, when Dave Sharon and Brother Tom used to work on the old buses out back here, I couldn't, I couldn't do any work, but I used, to, I used to hang out here and I'd talk with them and I'd get tools for them. I'd bring them coffee and stuff like that. I just wanted to be a part of it. I, I just love being a part of the church. You know, if we have a cleaning day, if we, anything we do around here, I, I just like to be here. And, and just be partaking in everything I can. I remember how much I loved to hear the preaching of God's word. And I remember the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in those church services when I first got saved. And I remember how each Sunday it seemed like the Holy Spirit was purging something else out of my life. Taking something else away. It seemed like every Sunday when I would sit there to listen to the preaching, that preacher had, had, t- had, had spied on me all week long and taken notes of everything I did. And he was preaching about every one of it. And I was sitting there going, ooh. I remember that. How each sermon seemed to teach me more and more about living for Jesus. And by the way, they still do. I love to sit back there when I can manage to stay awake and listen to pastor preach. Before, I had to go to church because my mom made me go or my dad made me go. or It was a holiday, so I had to go. I had to go to church. <laughs> Do we have to go? But you, now, you know what? Now, I, I don't have to come to church. I, I get to come to church. You, got, you people are gracious enough to allow me to be a member of your church and, and to worship with you. Oh, how wonderful that is. What, what, what's more important? Before I grudgingly gave to God in his work. But now I have the privilege of, of, of giving of my talents and myself to God in his work. You see, by nature, men do not have any desire for God. And before I was saved, I certainly had no desire for God. None whatsoever. Romans chapter 3 
Verses 10 through 12, we read, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And don't deceive yourself, because before you were saved, neither were you. You did nothing good. You did not seek the Lord. Before you were saved, you lived in darkness. You lived in sin. You say, well, I don't like that. Well, then take that up with the Lord because that's his word, not mine. None of us, none of us sought God. None of us lived a righteous life. The natural man does not understand God, nor does he understand the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, uh, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, what exactly do I mean when I say that we are rich because we have a, been given a propensity for God? Well, propensity, by definition, is an inclination to behave in a certain way. Now, our propensity as natural men was to live in sin. That was our nature. It was what we were and what we did. But that has been changed by God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And that word creature could be, could be translated creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, which hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You see, God has imputed a new nature to us, and that is the nature of Christ. So then if God has indeed given us this new nature, and he has, then why would we choose to submit to the old nature? That's a perplexing question. One that I, as a believer for 31 years, have been trying to answer. Why do God's people return to the world? Why do they return to the flesh when God has given them so much? I, in all that time, I've come up with three basic explanations. And I'll share them with you and um, we'll be done. First, because of ignorance of, of doctrine. Some men just aren't taught. Now, ignorance is not stupidity. Stupidity is a lack of intelligence. But ignorance is a lack of knowledge. There is a difference. That's why last week when I had, when I had put in my, script, in my message that how these atheists are some of the, uh, how stupid they are, I, I went back and changed it to ignorant because they're not stupid. I mean, these scientists are very intelligent men, are they not? They're not stupid, they're just ignorant. Of course, we also saw that God calls them fools. So he takes, a, he takes a higher step than I did. Ignorance of doctrine. Now, how do we combat ignorance? Well, through education. 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. 
a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Alas, I fear most Christians never open their Bible outside of the church. And that's the problem. That's why we're ignorant. It isn't because it isn't taught. It isn't because it's not available. It's because we don't avail ourselves to it. The way to combat ignorance is by educating people in the truth. And of course, the source of all truth is what? The word of God. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now, I want to say something. You should never take for granted the preaching you hear in this church. Don't take for granted what's preached behind this pulpit. This is not normal. The kind of messages our pastor gives you every week is very, very unique in this world. And if you don't believe that, go speak to some of the people who have moved away from here and are struggling to find places where they can come and be taught the word of God. It's very, very rare that you find a church anymore where the word of God is taught in truth and in boldness. Ask them how easy it is to find a church that preaches the way we preach here at Berean. This is why it is so important that we have our children in Sunday school every Sunday morning. And yet I'm amazed at how often we preach about this. And yet there are still those, Pastor, who won't come to church on Sunday. And they're off at the lake or they're at the beach or they're at a, at a soccer game or at a, a t-ball game or playing volleyball or, or something else. You know, why don't you just take your kids and, and go drive around town till you find a gang and just say, okay, go have fun. Because I tell you what, if you keep them out of the house of God, that, that's just as bad. And as I said last week, if I offend anyone who is here or may hear this on the Internet, if I offend you, I'm sorry for offending you. I didn't mean to offend you, but I'm not, I'm not at all sorry for preaching truth. This is why it's important that you have your children in Sunday school every Sunday, that you have them under the preaching of God's word every Sunday morning and again every Sunday evening, that you bring them to the Bible studies every Wednesday evening. You know what? Let your children go to school tired on Thursday morning. I'd rather have my children go to school a little tired on Thursday, but having had their souls fed on Wednesday night. What are we teaching our children? The only, as I said last, last week, the only protection our children have against the false teaching of this world is the preaching of truth. It's the only protection they have. Yet we don't get them to the one place they need to be. And that's why that generation that I preached about last Sunday morning, that knew not God, that's, why, that's how they got there. Ignorance of doctrine. That's one of the reasons why men, even though they've been given all these riches by Christ, go back to the world. Secondly, the second reason I find is fondness of the flesh. Fondness of the flesh. James chapter 1. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. 
and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. In short, some men choose to live in the old nature rather than submit to the new nature, and this is because they just simply love to satisfy their flesh. They have not crucified the flesh with Christ. They have revived it, and and they, they desire to stay in the flesh. They desire to stay in darkness. But God's desire is that we walk in the newness of life, that we live in the image of Christ, that we glorify him in all that we do. And the natural man cannot do this because his propensity is for sin, not for God. But there's a third reason that I find for people who reject the new nature and and tend to live in the old nature, and that is, thirdly, pseudo-Christianity. Pretty simple. Just phony Christians. 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. These fail to live with a propensity for God because they are not of God. They have feigned belief. They may have walked an aisle. They may have even gotten in the baptistry tank. They may even be convinced That they are true believers because someone said, now you write it down on this day, you came down the aisle and you got saved. And that when the devil comes to you and says, you're not saved, you say, yeah, I was, I was saved right here. But you know, in my Bible, I don't find any place where an evidence of our salvation is a date that we wrote down in a book. But I do find that the evidence of our salvation is that we walk in the newness of life. We are a new creature. You know, I've often wondered, why is it that when I see some people change and others just don't change? I even convinced myself once, well, it's because these people had such a righteous life, they don't need to change. (laughs) How stupid was I back then, huh? I was pretty stupid. You can say amen to that, by the way, it's okay. You know what? When you are a child of God, you live like a child of God. And that's because you've been empowered to do so. Not because you're anybody special, but because God ordained that we would that we would be in the image of his son. And God has indwelled us with his spirit and God's spirit comes within and begins to clean house. And our life changes and we begin to live and walk in righteousness, not our own righteousness, but the righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if we don't, then what evidence is there that we are believers? And James said, or John said, they go out from us. They leave. You ever wondered why some people just kind of disappear? Well, they, they went out from us because they were not of us. Pseudo-Christianity. Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? 
and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. How tragic it will be in that day. When men awaken to find that they believed a lie. And how rich we are tonight. Because we have been given a propensity for God. And for his righteousness. Well, there's still a lot to be said concerning our our riches in Christ. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't have any more time. And I hope that this little study just kind of whet your appetite. Uh, and And I hope that you'll continue to study into the word of God. And dig for the great treasures that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, we come before you tonight, humble servants, children really. Father, we, we don't have the wisdom that, that we need all the time. We, we, we fail, we fall short. But Lord, we are so rich tonight. You have so richly blessed us in so many ways. How, how can we possibly, Lord, live defeated lives? How could we possibly do anything less than give everything we have to you and do all that we do for your glory? I pray you'd speak to our hearts and help us, Father. Help us in our weakness and frailness to live lives that glorify and honor you. And Father, we want no glory to ourselves. We want, we want no recognition for ourselves. We want all to be done so that your name is exalted to all that will be in this community and all that will see our church will we'll give glory and honor to you. Bless us, we pray. Bless our children and our grandchildren. Help us to be living examples unto them. Use us, Father. Use us to your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.